This is BT Techno, a regular podcast series for financial advisors wanting to remain at the forefront of strategy, regulatory and industry news. Well, hello and welcome to this week's Techno Podcast. My name's Neil Sparks. I'm the National Manager SMSF Strategy at BT Financial Group and part of Brian Ashenden's BT Technical Services team. A group of qualified individuals who are available to assist you with any advice, technical and strategy related queries as you plan recommendations for your clients. This week, my topic is ethics. Um, I'll be talking about ethics in practice, the everyday application of ethical considerations into your business as a financial advisor. If you'd like to hear more about the topic, please join me in the next BT Academy webinar, which will be episode 58, Ethics in Practice, um, which will be run on August the 31st. You can register at bt.com.au forward slash academy. So let's start today by asking, what is ethics? I think the simplest way to describe it is whenever we make a choice, it's possible that for us to have made a different one. So when we're faced with options of what to do or how to act, acting ethically will mean that we must base our decision on our values, looking at the question, what is good? Uh, our purpose, which is what ought I do? And our principles, what is right? These are the questions that ethics seek to answer. Ethics asks us to take responsibility for our choices and actions. And as advisors, you're faced with making ethical decisions every day in your role. Some of the ethical decisions and scenarios advisors face are not specific to a code provision. They're reflective of the difficult decisions that are sometimes faced as a financial advisor, and they require the exercise of your professional judgment. And to give you an example, um, being ethical is not just about complying with the law. It is possible to meet the standards of the law, but still have acted unethically. The example I'd give you here is the ethical duty in standard two, um, which of course is to act in your client's best interest. Now, corporations law also has a best interest duty in it in section 961B, but they're not identical. So if you consider corporations law, um, 961B parts two to four, they describe a series of steps that an advisor may take. And if those steps are followed, the advisor will have satisfied the good faith duty in section 961B. But the code of ethics does not have an equivalent provision. So even if you follow the steps set out in 961B of the Act under the best interest duty, it doesn't mean you'll automatically meet your obligations under standard two of the code of ethics. So we can see straight away that just by following the best interest duty in corporations law, it doesn't automatically uh, transfer that we will have acted ethically. So we need to consider ethical consideration as we go forward. The um, While I was doing my ethical study, I actually, my ethics study, I actually found a seven-step ethical decision-making model. And that model to me did seem to align very well with the um, code of ethic provisions. So I thought I'd run you through both today um, side by side so that we can get a sense of the, the, the alignment between an ethical decision-making framework and the seven steps in the safe harbour. 
Now, the first thing to remember is that the best interest duty is outcome focused. The client should be better off for following the advice. Um, the safe harbour steps are not designed to be a box checking exercise. The best interest duty looks at your process and your motivation. Now, when we talk about process and motivation, we are talking specifically about um, the quality of your files. So how you've dug into understanding a client's needs and objectives, the subject matter of the advice that they've sought, um, how detailed you were in an analyzing the product they currently have and any alternative product that might meet the client's needs. If there's a big gap in the piece in the middle in the file that just shows we took the client from their existing fund to a self-managed super fund and your file doesn't show any analysis in the middle or evaluation of other suitable products, then the uh, disinterested person, so when we talk about the disinterested person, we're talking about uh, AFCA or ASIC uh, or even an, one of your peers under uh, an RG78 breach reporting or standard 12 type of situation where a peer is critically analysing your advice. So this concept of your files um, showing a consistent, predictable and well-documented method of uh, assessing the client's situation needs and products that might suit those needs becomes really, really vital as a protection method for your business. Because in the absence of process that we just talked about, ASIC will look to your motivation for giving the advice. And that's when you could find yourself in a bit of trouble. So we'll quickly just go over them again. The seven steps in the safe harbour. Um, the first one is identify the client's needs and objectives. The, uh, the second is the subject matter of the advice sought. Making a reasonable inquiry to obtain complete and accurate information. Uh, assessing whether the advisor has the expertise to provide the advice, researching products that might meet the needs and objectives of the client, and basing judgments on those clients' stated needs and objectives. And of course, the last one, the taking any other step that would reasonably be regarded as being in the best interest of the client. Now, again, that reasonably be reasonably be regarded is a test of your peers. It's the other party that is reviewing the documentation in the file as someone with a reasonable level of knowledge and skill if they would make the same recommendation. So this is that, that peer analysis piece. So we, we, we all know those. We know the seven safe harbour steps. So now we actually introduce the seven step ethical decision making model. Now the first one is stop and think. So step one, stop and think. It prevents you from making a rash decision. So we align that back to identifying the client's needs and objectives as step, um, step one in the safe harbour. This might be your initial conversation with the client. You've had a discussion and you've uncovered what they would like to do. Now, this might be the point where you don't engage the client. You don't continue. Um, you've critically assessed what they've told you, their needs and objectives, and you've decided that you don't have have the necessary skills uh, to be able to support the client. So it takes that courage to say, um, I can't help you, you'll have to seek somebody else. We then look at steps two and three. Um, in the ethical decision-making model, it's about clarifying goals, both short and long-term, and getting the facts. What do we know or not know? Now, of course, they do align perfectly um, with steps one, two, and three of those safe harbour provisions. You know, uh, uh, 
making reasonable inquiries to get complete and accurate information. Now, what we know is that um, you're not absolved of your responsibilities to get information from the client um, just if they're not willing to give all of the information to you. As a professional advisor uh, in the safe harbour provisions, you, you need to um, dig a little deeper to get enough information. If the information is incomplete, you can't just base your advice on in, incomplete information. So that requirement to, to dig a little deeper uh, is important and so that comes through both from an ethical consideration and also from your requirements under the safe harbour provisions. So we've got some sort of alignment there. Um, steps four, five and six of the ethical framework look at evaluating alternatives, so alternative options and actions, considering the consequences of each and every option or action and deciding and testing. And decide and test is described as will you be proud of the decision? So again, we align those back to steps four, five, and six in the safe harbour. You know, assess whether the advisor has the expertise to provide the advice, research products that might meet the needs and objectives of the client, and base all judgments on the client's needs and objectives. So, so these align really, really nicely um, to the ethical framework that I was just talking about. So, you know, evaluating alternatives, that's what I said in that initial introduction, the requirement of the advisor to look at the options um, for the client, as in alternative products. The best example I could give would be if the client says they want more control over their investments and your solution is to put them in a self-managed super fund and they're coming from an industry fund. ASIC want to see that you considered alternatives to that. And if it's proven that the existing industry fund has a direct investment option where they could have bought some direct shares and held that in their industry fund portfolio, you're going to have a really hard time justifying why you set the client up in a self-managed fund or didn't even at least consider a wrap uh, type fund in the middle. So looking at those alternatives and options becomes a really... Uh, critical piece for an advisor. Um, considering the consequences, this aligns perfectly with standard six, the obligation to look at the long-term implications of the advice. So being really critical about what you've decided to do and are there any long-term consequences for the client and does it then, uh, and then if we look at stand, uh, number six, deciding and testing, will you be proud of the decision? You know, the, the first part of that is assessing, have I really met um, step six in the safe harbour provisions, basing the judgments on the client's needs and objectives. So is my recommended strategy or recommended product going to meet all of the stated needs and objectives of the client from my initial fact find? And then the second part of that is, will I be proud of the decision? So this is the will it pass scrutiny from my peer group. So if it does go to another advisor uh, or licensee from an RG78 or standard 12 perspective, will I have a risk? Or if it goes to an AFCA or ASIC, um, do I have any considerations there? So um, that's a really big thing to consider. Um, 
then we have a situation where if we think about reflecting on the outcome, which of course helps us to make better decisions in the future. So I'd liken this to being after we've met with the client, we've delivered our strategy and statement of advice, they've signed the authority to proceed. This is the piece where I'm now thinking about the um, the commitment I've made to my client can I can I honour my promise to the customer will I deliver the service um, if I've structured an ongoing fee arrangement you know are, were my fees fair and reasonable do they represent value for money to the client um, you know how will I go with the ongoing fee arrangements enhanced FDS will I meet all of those commitments that I've been made. So as I said, we'll go through this in a lot more detail next Wednesday and really sort of drill down into some case studies um, and, and look at these a bit more closely and in detail. But I just wanted to give a, a high level overview of what we thought um, could be beneficial from an ethics in practice perspective. So in conclusion, you know, these ethical issues arise every day for advisors. Some issues may not be obvious at first, and sometimes the best first step might be to get a second opinion. If you're not sure, talk it over with your peers, talk it over with your team, talk it over with your licensee. Of course, come to a, a, a third party like BT Technical Services, we are happy to help. Um, BDMs can also be a great resource, accountants, solicitors, and so on. And then of course, reflect on your chosen strategy prior to making that recommend to, recommendation to the client. All of these things um, will help make sure you honour your promise, that you've acted ethically, uh, and that the, the next client will benefit from you reflecting um, on the decisions that you've made. Um, so as I said, that sort of concludes that piece. Well, let's just briefly touch on if you've got any technical questions or there are any advice strategy questions that you have for your clients, uh, we invite you to call the BT Technical Services team. The phone number is 1800 655 901 or you can email the team at technical at btfinancialgroup.com. So please join us for our regular fortnightly BT Academy webinar series where we discuss all things technical and regulatory in the financial advice space. Our next session is scheduled for midday on Wednesday the 31st of August 2022 where I will be presenting the next ethics focused webinar which is called Ethics in Practice. The role of the financial advisor comes with a significant responsibility to guide your clients through a myriad of possibilities and ethical dilemmas. To register for that session or to view any of our previous webinars which are available on demand, head to www.bt.com.au forward slash professional and follow the links to the BT Academy webinar series. All our webinars qualify for CPD points. So until next time, thank you and bye for now. BT Tech knows, and now you know. Join us next time to keep ahead of the curve for strategy, regulatory, and industry news. This podcast has been developed for financial advisor use only and provides general information only. It does not take into account any particular individual's objectives, financial situations, or needs.